Welcome to the DIA podcast series. We're coming to you high above Hamilton Street in the Dalton Innovation Accelerator, the historic landmark building overlooking downtown Dalton, Georgia. I'm Bob Caberton. Joining me is Barry Slaymaker. Our guest today is a fascinating individual. Um, compared to our previous guest, he's a relative newcomer to Dalton. Welcome Chris Brown. Not the rapper. Not the rapper. True. Um, before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about him. He was born in Syracuse, New York, coincidentally the same hospital as his wife, whom he would meet 18 years later a thousand miles away. He graduated from Deerfield Academy in 2001, a prestigious prep school outside Boston. Some would call it a feeder school for Yale and the Ivy League. After Deerfield, Chris did what he would do throughout the rest of his life. He turned left when his peers turned right. That brought him down to Sewanee to attend the University of the South in 2005 and he uh, graduated with a degree in forestry. It was there that he met his wife, Amanda Michaels Brown, who runs the Creative Arts Guild here in town. After graduation, he uh, hiked the entire Appalachian Trail, um, like the whole thing, 2,000 miles, coming from Maine down to Georgia. Then he uh, went to law school, University of Denver. He graduated in 2010, entered private practice, in addition to serving as an adjunct professor at the University of Denver. Did that for four years, and in 2014, him and Amanda both moved to Dalton. And after three years, uh, Chris and his brother-in-law and two friends uh, started Dalton's only production brewery, Dalton Brewing Company. Chris, uh, someone just reading your bio might think you were a straight hippie. Um, but knowing you as I do, that is clearly not the case. Um, so instead of going all Joe Rogan, Elon Musk here, Let's talk about your life and your business. But how are you, bro? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me today. Uh, it's it's weird to hear your life summed up in about a minute. Uh, How'd I do? Uh, pretty good. Okay, pretty good. So, good. Was that an intro or felt kind of like a eulogy a little bit? Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little both. <laughs> so you get a little preview. So. Compared to who we talked at this point, I mean, you came, you've come from a dramatically different background and and just bob touched on it but can you give us just a little bit more color and kind of what that looks like i knew i know you weren't just in the northeast your entire life growing up and yeah and, it, and so you you had some some interesting pieces even kind of leading up to that i think yeah so we uh my family bounced around a good bit i was born in new york we moved around new york uh a good bit after my dad finished medical school then we spent some time in massachusetts then we were out in illinois then back to Massachusetts, down to Connecticut, and then somehow I wound up in Tennessee for school. So, so th thinking back, I think it's the, we we've kind of have this con this theme when talking to people about their kind of formative years, kind of how that really helped them become entrepreneurs. And so, I mean, socially, let's go back to kind of Deerfield High School is when a lot of people kind of come into their own socially. Were you? jock were you a guy like selling weed out of your locker <laughs> i mean were you a nerd where were you those aren't mutually exclusive are they no, no they're not, no. They're not. and i believe point. the statute of limitations he is, he is a lawyer obviously <laughs> um no i was uh, i mean i did sports in high school um wrestling right wrestling um it was a prep school so i i dabbled in crew but i'm about five foot nothing so that didn't last very long mm. i um, understand that all too well right yeah. uh I sw swum, uh, ran uh, cross country a little bit, um, but really, I, Deerfield, a lot like Sewanee, is out in the mountains, um, or I guess mm -hmm. the hills compared to Colorado. But uh, a lot of hiking, and so that was pretty formative for me as yeah. well. 
Where that did you have any kind of early entrepreneurial ventures? And, I mean, besides <laughs> besides the potentially obvious, uh, but I mean, were you? Yeah, I mean, early on, we talked to people that were out of their lemonade stands. Brian yeah. Macon was like cleaning you know, gutters at sorority houses. I mean, everybody had that kind of weird one thing they did early on. No, I did actually. Uh, me and my brother, we delivered newspapers was the first thing I remembered in Newton, Massachusetts. We delivered them and I felt like it really set us apart. We would actually take the paper up and put it inside the door. We wouldn't just throw it on the lawn, made sure that they didn't get wet newspapers. Uh, over, um, overachiever. Yeah. Yeah, back then. <laughs> back then, yeah. Then there was college right, and right. other things, yeah. Um, and then after that, um, me and some friends in, must have been junior high, started a, a lawn care service called Lawn Be Gone, which is an unfortunate name, um, yeah. but we still had customers nonetheless. A lot of Roundup, right. I guess. And yeah, your, right. your family was relatively entrepreneurial, right? I mean, your dad went to Harvard Business School. He had, had his, uh, was a doctor before that, right? So he was. Could you, could you touch a little bit on that? Yeah. So my dad, uh, the reason we were in New York, and the same with my wife's family, is um, Amanda's dad was a pediatrician, training to be a pediatrician in New York, um, in Syracuse. And my dad was training to be a surgeon. Um, and he was in medicine for, it was until I was in first grade. So maybe six or seven years. Um, so he decided he'd kind of, Changed, completely changed careers, went to Harvard Business School, and wound up getting into finance. Wow. Private, private equity at some point, right? Right. First, it was investment banking, which that's what took us out to so Illinois. So he, he followed the traditional Deerfield path. Right. Without going to not. Deerfield. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're at Deerfield. You're in the hills outside Boston. Is that right? It's, uh, it's Western Mass, so it's okay. it's about two to three hours outside Boston. Okay. So it's a ways. Okay. Yep. So... What prompted you to say, all right, I'm going to go to Tennessee and go to college up in the hills away from everything? Um, and so I, I didn't have any draw to go to any college in particular. I went on a tour of all these different colleges, but I went and visited Suwannee. It's on 10,000 acres. Um, had a great time while I was there visiting. And uh, Did you ever play that golf course? Because I'm dying to play that golf course. I did play the golf course. Before it had been redone and it was really nice. Mm. Um, back when I graduated in 2005, it was there was probably more dirt on the course than there was grass. Oh, really? Wow, yeah. wow. Um, but it, recently, I think in the past four or five years, they I don't even hit that well off grass. I can't imagine dirt. <laughs> I, we weren't too concerned about hitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think our golf bags had more beer in it than golf clubs. But um, we they remodeled the course about five years ago and remodeled okay the so that's and, when it really got yeah. a reputation and it looks very nice right now mm. yeah i've heard rave reviews um do you want to share anything about college or anything like that i know you were interestingly a forestry major i was a forestry also, also mm. unconventional do you want to touch on that at all <laughs> i don't know if any of this stuff ties in if it's all arbitrary or what but i think it's interesting not, nonetheless yeah i mean i was so I was a Boy Scout when I was younger. Okay. Um, I went to Philmont. I really liked the outdoors. Obviously, we hiked the Appalachian Trail after college. Um, but oddly enough, didn't have a lot of job prospects mm, yeah. on, on earning that degree. At that point, you did not know you were going to become a lawyer, right? No, I did not. Okay. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I wasn't really thinking very far ahead. <laughs> but, you know, I was following what was interesting to me at the time. And I think, and, and yeah. I think you would find that to be the case in tons of entrepreneurs. Right. Caught up in the moment and not thinking that far ahead. Right. Um, there wasn't much planning about what was happening after school, just like you said, living in the moment, enjoying the moment. Yeah, for sure. I respect that. So you you finish, you've spent four years walking the woods 
decide to go for a walk in the woods again, right? Nice <laughs> reference. Good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you went, and, and so I'm a little bit of a AT nerd just because I think it's really super interesting. You guys went southbound, which is not typical. It's not typical. Why? I mean, why do that? Why make that left turn instead of the right turn everybody else is making? So, uh, it really had nothing to do with wanting to go southbound. It, it was a timing issue. Okay. Um, we graduated in, must have been May. Um, and so that's late for starting northbound. Um, by the time we were ready to actually go, it would, would have been the beginning of June. And Baxter State Park doesn't even open exactly. until June. So, so I. <laughs> Right. It was also a product of what shape we were in. Yeah. Uh, my wife and I were both, we had not been hiking, you know, camping, backpacking um, through college. Um, and so we didn't think we were on pace if we started in June at Springer Mountain to finish before they closed the park in Katahdin um, in time. Yeah. So we started southbound. So when, when was the revelation, hey, I'm going to law school? So, so after hiking the trail, mm-hmm. um, I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting, I think I was at home. I think uh, Amanda went, actually came back to Dalton and was working at the Creative Arts Guild, oddly enough, mm-hmm. as the in-school teacher, arts teacher. And I had gone back to my parents' house and was kind of sitting there, and I'm like, what do I do with a forestry degree? <laughs> <laughs> and I had a lot of people tell me, well, you could be a park ranger. <laughs> and I thought, oh, okay, don't want to be a park ranger. Um, but I found this uh, place in Alabama called uh, McDowell. It's actually an Episcopal uh, summer camp, but they had started an environmental program during the school year to teach Birmingham, like inner city youth, um, about the outdoors. And so I was like, this looks cool. And so I went down there and um, they didn't pay much. I think they paid like 200 a week, but they gave you room and board and you basically walked around and showed kids the outdoors. It was awesome. Um, But halfway through our walk in the woods, we would stop and I'd be giving them a lesson about erosion or, or something. And at noon every day, there'd be a blast and the ground would shake. And if you were inside, the windows would rattle. And that was the coal mining that was happening. It was like coal across- mining in Alabama. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, which is big industry where we were. We were in Nauvoo, Alabama, mm-hmm. which is canyon country. And so across the street, they were blasting to get down into the coal. And after a few weeks, then I was like, you know what? I really need to make a, a, a difference and um, got all indignant um, and said, well, teaching's going to take too long, so I'm going to go to law school and I'm going to really stick it to these guys. And so studied for the LSAT um, and went to law school and didn't wind up practicing environmental law, but uh, took a different track. So you were pissed off at the man. At the man. I yeah. like <laughs> that. I like that. That's probably one of the best reasons I've ever heard to go to law school. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. I've never heard a real motivation before. All I've ever heard people talk about was money before yeah. when it came to that. So nice. I, I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so, go ahead, Barry. Uh, so, so, I mean, I, I don't, never personally been to law school, don't know the process, but so how'd you end up in Denver? Just kind of like, hey, you know, I want to get to Denver. Because cool. it's Denver. Yeah, it's Denver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, my choices were, uh, I mean, I applied to a bunch because it's a numbers game, just like yeah. yeah. Applied to a bunch of places. Um, Got into some place in Akron, Ohio, where they make rubber, and yeah. the University of Denver, which is in Denver. Mm-hmm. Um, so it so was like Ohio Northern. Yeah, the, is that in that area? It's near Cleveland, I think. Okay. So, um, which it's like gray six months of the year. Mm, yeah. Versus three hundred days of sunshine in yeah. Denver. So oh, wow. Um, and I and I snowboard, so it was a 
pretty easy choice. The harder thing was convincing Amanda that we should move. Um, yeah, halfway across the country. And you were yeah. married at this point. You I was ma- not married at this oh, point. You were not, which made it even more difficult to convince her. That's a tough sell. Yeah, um, but no, she she was great. We just spent five feet away from each other for six about six months on the Appalachian Trail. So um, we figured we could do this. How did how is that? Does that conversation go with your father, who's a uh, has a medical degree and and Harvard MBA? And you're saying, I, I want to go south to Tennessee because they got a cool campus, and I want to go to Denver because they got snow and it's a cool city. Did you have those conversations with, with your dad or your mom? No, but I, I can imagine his thought process was, thank God he got into a college. <laughs> and yeah. uh, no, he's always been, I mean, he's the guy who moved us eight times in five years. So I don't think, as far as distance and moving away from home, hmm. um, he's always been one to pursue the opportunity versus kind of staying put and so i don't think he he wasn't over he didn't really flinch at it yeah. no 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 cool so um law school uh graduate practice there for what a couple years and then you head back to Dalton. what what brought you back to dalton if you don't mind me asking so yeah so there was a little bit of drama uh in practicing so i came out of law school into the kind of the depth of the reception recession it was 2010. Oh, yeah. um, I had studied environmental law, and I still was holding on to the dream of becoming an environmental lawyer. Um, I had done the environmental law clinic in law school. We'd sued power plants, and you know, I was fighting the good fight. was going to yeah. wear the white hat. Um, but the jobs weren't there. Um, you know, Those jobs were being taken by guys who had been practicing five to ten years. Yeah. They already had the financial ability to take a lower salary, all of that. So I came out into a tough job market. Um, and started doing medical malpractice defense. Uh, it's not glamorous. Um, it's actually kind of depressing. Uh, I remember we, I had a string of what they called bad baby cases, um, or depending which side you're on, miracle baby cases, where kids had been born uh, with defects because of alleged negligence of the physician. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that string of cases, and I'm dealing with these you know, kids who are impaired for the rest of their life, uh, is when Amanda got pregnant with our first kid. And so it was a very wow. difficult kind of wow. realization. That's when I started backing out of the medical malpractice because it was just so – nobody wins in those cases. Even if yeah. the plaintiff wins and they get some money, it's not worth what they've been through. Um, what so a I, contrast to – you know, you were planning on being an aspiring uh, uh, environmental fighter, you know, on the, the right side of morals. I can't imagine the contrast there. Yeah, and I, but I will say it was more interesting. Yeah. Uh, it, Environmental loss sounds sexy. Yeah, I, you know, if I know anything about it, but it's literally looking at thousands of pages of regulations put out by the EPA. Um, so it's not very interesting to practice. And medical malpractice is extremely interesting. Oh, I bet it's just kind of depressing. Yeah. So I actually shifted to another malpractice and started doing a lot of uh, legal malpractice, defending lawyers, and that doesn't have the depression of medical malpractice, and it is extremely interesting. Um, not only because the personalities you encounter, but also you've, you're typically defending them on cases that involve different areas of law with every case. The underlying case is always different. It's water law, or it's a personal injury case, or it's a bankruptcy. Um, so that was pretty interesting. But after practicing for about three or four years, the firm I was with in Denver completely imploded. Um, half the partners walked out to start their own firm. Another group uh, started their own firm. And then the island of misfit toys, which I fell into, um, that didn't really practice medical malpractice, 
uh, banded together. And so we were an HOA lawyer, legal malpractice lawyers, an employment lawyer, uh, bankruptcy lawyer. And we started our own firm, uh, Nimro Perez. And I was with them for about a year, maybe a little more. And then Amanda comes to me and says, hey, you're not going to believe it, but they're looking for a new um, executive director at the Creative Arts Guild. And I said, in Dalton. In Dalton, <laughs> yeah. And I said, that's great. And she's like, well, you know, that's just way too much. We've, you know, we've had Arden, we've got a baby at home, and, you know, and so I encouraged her to apply. I said, you never know what will happen. Um, and so she winds up getting the job, and so we moved back here. Um, and it was a little nerve-wracking because we didn't know what was going to happen with my firm, you know, whether they were going to say, well, see ya, yeah. uh, good luck in Georgia. Uh, but they're friends, and they didn't do that, and it, they opened an office here for me, and it's been great for the past four years. So you're in Dalton uh, practicing law. You're here for a couple years, three years, and I guess at some point you recognize there's an opportunity to start a brewery. I, um, <laughs> I recognized us, that well before. Did you? Uh, yeah. I guess there were thousands of them in Denver, I would imagine. But yeah, take it. Take us through that if you don't mind. So it, it was a little surreal, honestly. Uh, Denver, there's literally a, a brewery every block. Yeah. And out there, it's that's your neighborhood bars. You can go, and it's better than a bar because you can bring your kids in. They got games. There's food. It's not. It's not like a dive bar. We come out here, and I'm talking to people. I may have been talking to you and saying, "Where's the, where's the yeah. closest brewery?" Yeah. And. Uh, the response is, oh, yeah, you can go to Chattanooga. It's 20 miles away. And that it was unbelievable. So I'd actually, a couple months after moving here, had been talking with Drew, you know, my brother-in-law, about starting a brewery. Um, the only industry experience we had was drinking beer, so it wasn't... That's you, industry experience. That's right? probably <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That matters. We were on the market yeah. side. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we had been talking about it, but nothing got going. Um until actually Amanda and Deanna were talking uh, something related to the Creative Arts Guild, and Deanna was talking about how she'd been brewing, brewing up with these home brewers up in Eton. And, and this is what, 2015 or 2016? That sounds about right. Okay. Yeah. And we could connect with them, and you know, we would bring the business side to it, and they would bring the brewing experience. Um, and so that's sort of the origin of how it all started. It obviously evolved from that to a different team. Um, that started the brewery, um, and it was a very long process. I mean, 2015, we didn't open um, until February 2018. Uh, there was a lot of work in those years, uh, which kind of just shows you that some businesses happen fast, like the law firm. Mm -hmm. Our law firm imploded, and in four months, we had formed another law firm, and we're off and running. And some businesses take much longer, like the brewery. Um, would you say you're better running. off for it taking longer? And, and how would you say it's deviated from maybe the initial plan? So for the first one, I think it's a, it took longer because none of us had industry experience. It would have been a lot different if we had someone on the team who had been a uh, brewer at, say, Sweetwater. Yeah. And they brought all the knowledge about um, the industry with them. Uh, for us, it, it's me, my brother-in-law, Drew, um, Deanna Mathis and Gray Juba, and while we all dabbled in home brewing, none of us had ever worked at a brewery. Um, two of us were carpet engineers, one of us was a salesman, and one of us was a lawyer. So we had to get the learning curve of what happens behind the scenes at a brewery, 
in order to allow us to open. I think it would have been much faster and probably a lot easier if we had had somebody with industry experience on board. Why, with those four backgrounds, why did you think you could open a brewery? Because we wanted to do it. I mean, you said, you said the passion. Yeah, I think, I think, and I think passion trumps yeah. uh, perfection any day. Um, you know, we could have brought in a brewer or assistant brewer from Sweetwater, um, but you don't know their personality. Uh, having four people from a small community like Dalton, you, <laughs> for better or worse, you know their reputation, you know who they are even before you meet them. Um, and we'd all heard of each other. Obviously, I'd heard of my brother-in-law before. But, <laughs> but you know, Deanna, she's in the community. Was uh, it all good, though? <laughs> <laughs> that was all good. Um, and actually, you know, the one that I, we hadn't known very well was Gray, who lives out of Rome. Um, but he had worked at Shaw with Deanna. So there was, um, there was enough of a knowledge base and an understanding that we weren't bringing in somebody completely unknown. And I think... You know, one of the biggest things I've seen, I do small, small business law and employment law. One of the biggest ways that businesses fail is they have personality disagreements among, among owners. Um, and it either leads to a buyout of one of the other owners or a complete legal battle that winds up sinking the business. Um, so, yeah, it, it took longer to get off the ground because none of us had experience, but um, mm. we had the right fit. And if you've, but obviously, if you've been in, if you've tried the beer and just figured it out, it works. So, I mean, it, it was, I mean, it's those four very different backgrounds, you know, they've meshed and they translated into, hey, we've got a really cool brewery. Yeah, but part of it is Dalton. I mean, part of it is the fact that we have no other production breweries here. Um, we couldn't have done what we did. Um, in Denver. We couldn't have done what we did probably in Atlanta just because of the markets are much more saturated with other breweries and other options. Dalton's allowed us, one, because it has extreme community pride. People are going to come and give us a try, yeah. even if they don't think the beer is great. Um, and they're going to give us time to grow into what we are now. And it, it seems, as a customer of yours and as a friend of yours, and you know, we have a lot of common friends in common, it, it seems like you're very successful. Um, but I, I don't know the details there. Did did you meet your projections? Did everything, did you exceed your goals? Could you talk about that? Yeah. I, so obviously we had put together business plan beforehand and pro formas and projections of sales and revenue. Uh, and we certainly beat our sales and revenue projections. Um, we've, we're in that weird phase of we started distribution in August. Distribution comes with a lot of added costs. Yeah. Um, not only the increase in materials, but you're taking lower margins on yeah. the product. It's obviously lower margins for selling to a store that's going to sell to a store yeah. than it is for selling across the counter. Um, and so we're dealing with that, and it's just growing pains right now. Um, but certainly, yes, the first year we did better in the tap room than we thought we would have done. Um, and honestly, right now we're doing better um, above the line than we thought we'd do. We thought the costs were going to be much less for the first three years. Yeah. As silly as it sounds, I, we, we I've never ended up thinking they were higher than they should. You know, it, it always you underestimate them. Well, and I mean, this shows you kind of little how naive we were. We thought that we would be able to have one full-time employee for the entire first year. Oh and we finished the first year with, I think, one full-time employee and seven part-time employees. Um, seven part-time. In addition to the... Uh, the owners. Right. Yeah. 
and the owners work a fair amount, it yeah. seems. And, I mean, I think so. This you're so you're very close, very fresh with the concept of all of a sudden you're now an employer, and so there's people in this community that their livelihood in some form or fashion is relying on you and your three partners. What is that like? That's that's pretty new for you, right? Uh, yes and no. I mean. We have employees with the law firm, obviously, mm-hmm. and so, and that's a little bit, a little bit more so, because they have they have full, they're full time, you know, mm-hmm. at the law firm. Um, the at the brewery, it's all part time. It's everyone's second gig. Yeah. Um, and so, I don't think we've, I don't think we feel the full brunt okay. of oh, we're supporting this person's yeah. livelihood, and if mm-hmm. if the brewery were to go under, then we're going to sink seven lives. Yeah. You know, I think people do this as a little extra income, and also yeah. honestly, because they enjoy being at the brewery and the social aspect of being. There. I, I don't know that I've ever been in there and seen somebody air quotes working that didn't look like they were having a blast. <laughs> you know, in there, so, a couple of stressed faces at some of the block parties, but uh, except for me, I think I'm the guy who gets to push the paper. So. Yeah. Uh, I huddle in the back room doing finances and compliance, but mm. everyone else gets the fun jobs of, <laughs> of brewing the beer and serving the beer. Well, um, we'll ask one more question about DBC, and then I'm going to ask you a general question about Dalton. Um, but what is the what's the future of Dalton Brewing? Do you see it becoming a regional player? God, I hope so. Uh, That's the goal. The goal is growth. I mean, the goal is always growth, right? Um, and we've seen that. Uh, you know, we're, right now we're we're trying to grow demand locally. Obviously, the growth is in distribution. Um, I think the community supports us, and we've seen that support in the tap room. Um, but Dalton's a limited size community, yeah. And until Dalton gets bigger and younger, um, we're, we're probably not going to see an explosion in tap room sales. Um, the growth is really in in Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and right now we're kind of obviously, as you can imagine, our main uh, market is. The Dalton region. I've seen you in Longhorn, Kroger, yeah. Country Club, The Farm. I mean, it seems like the, the Dalton expansion in terms of distribution is strong. Has it, has it crept outside Dalton yet? It has. So we're okay. statewide, and we get picked up. Uh, you know, the, the big thing in the beer industry now is the rotator. right? So everyone's looking for what's I should what's, know what that is. So it's what's new. Oh, okay. Right? You see a lot of growl- Oh, the, the tap they rotate. Right. Okay. And so a lot of these growler shops, they're going to pick up. They'll have your beer on, and then... Then you're off, and the next gotcha. hot, sexy things on the tap. Um, so that's sort of the model. You're st- they're starting to see a little bit of a change in that. Um, growler sales have been down the past year as across Georgia, um, and so people are kind of wondering where the beer market in Georgia is going to go. Whether it's going moving to cans, and how to um, how to meet that. For us, we're circling the wagons. We're focusing local, and once we feel like we've saturated our local market, then we're going to start looking to creep down towards Atlanta. So, uh, Chris, you talk about Dalton as a you know, a small town, limited market. Uh, you know, Bob and I know you to be a, a straight shooter. So, I'm going to ask you a question. Go with it wherever you want. Talk to us about kind of you are kind of the the stereotypical of what we see Dalton becoming kind of young, energetic, passionate, you know, focused on the community. But so, tell us from that perspective. What do you like and dislike about what's happening right now in Dalton? Um, and we throw any negativity you want to at sure. us. We'd love to hear it because most people avoid it. No, I, I mean, honestly, there's a lot to like about what's happening in Dalton right now. Of course. And, um, 
you know, you guys are a big part of that, especially downtown. Um, Casey's a big part of that. I know you guys had him on last week. Um, and there seems to, again, spearheaded in part by you guys, there seems to be a shift towards entrepreneurship. There seems to be a shift towards harnessing the young demographic in Dalton. Um, the problem is Dalton's not very young. Uh, and if you want to attract young people, you've got to create an environment where people want to stay when they graduate from Dalton State. You got to create jobs that young people, uh, young professionals with disposable income, can have when they when they graduate. And I think that's happening. Um, I think the carpet industry seems to be moving more towards automation, and they're hiring a lot of engineers, which is good for Dalton. Um, but it's kind of been a one industry town, at least from an outsider's perspective. It's a one industry town and continues to be so. Um, the brewery is nice, but we're just you know we're serving beer. If the carpet industry wasn't here, we wouldn't we wouldn't be serving any beer. Um, it, our distribution network's not big enough to support us alone on distribution. So um, until there's some larger um, employers and newer industries that come in, it, it's going to be tough. And I guess that's the negativity I have about Dalton is it's what everyone has, right? Which is that it's not young and you don't see people moving back. You see people choosing to move elsewhere. Um, I hope that changes. And I think in the past couple of years, especially with the Believe Greater Dalton, and a lot of the other things that you guys are doing and spearheading, um, hopefully that sparks something. Cool. Well, uh, we really appreciate having you on. I think uh, it's an inspirational story. I think um, people love to hear it. I think you were very candid, and I appreciate you being loose and, and uh, talking free with us. But thanks for being on, Chris. Thank, Thank you. you guys. Thanks for having thanks, me. Thanks, Chris.